Chapter One of Lost Man's Lane. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Bard, Derby, England. Lost Man's Lane by Anna Catherine Green. Preface a word to my readers before they begin these pages as a woman of inborn principle and strict presbyterian training i hate deception and cannot abide subterfuge this is why after a year or more of hesitation i have felt myself constrained to put into words the true history of the events surrounding the solution of that great mystery which made lost man's lane the dread of the neighbouring country feminine delicacy and a natural shrinking from revealing to the world certain weaknesses on my part inseparable from a true relation of this tale led me to consent to the publication of that meagre and decidedly falsified account of the matter which has appeared in some of our leading papers but conscience has regained its sway in my breast and with all due confidence in your forbearance I herein take my rightful place in these annals, of whose interest and importance I now leave you to judge. Amelia Butterworth, Gramercy Park, New York. Book One, The Knollis Family. Chapter One, A Visit from Mr. Grice. Ever since my fortunate, or shall I say, unfortunate connection with that famous case of murder in gramercy park i have had it intimated to me by many of my friends and by some who were not my friends that no woman who had met with such success as myself in detective work would ever be satisfied with a single display of her powers and that sooner or later i would find myself again at work upon some other case of striking peculiarities as vanity has never been my foible and as moreover i never have forsaken and never am likely to forsake the plain path marked out for my sex at any other call than that of duty i invariably responded to these insinuations by an affable but incredulous smile striving to excuse the presumption of my friends by remembering their ignorance of my nature and the very excellent reasons i had for my one notable interference in the police affairs of new york city besides though i appeared to be resting quietly if not in entire contentment on my laurels i was not so utterly removed from the old atmosphere of crime and its detection as the world in general considered me to be mr grice still visited me not on business of course but as a friend for whom i had some regard and naturally our conversation was not always confined to the weather or even to city politics provocative as the latter subject is of wholesome controversy not that he ever betrayed any of the secrets of his office oh no that would have been too much to expect but he did sometimes mention the outward aspects of some celebrated case and though i never ventured upon advice i know too much for that i hope i found my wits more or less exercised by a conversation in which he gained much without acknowledging it 
and I gave much without appearing conscious of the fact. I was therefore finding life pleasant and full of interest, when suddenly I had no right to expect it, and I do not blame myself for not expecting it, or for holding my head so high at the prognostications of my friends, an opportunity came for a direct exercise of my detective powers in a line seemingly so laid out for me by providence that i felt i would be slighting the powers above if i refused to enter upon it though now i see that the line was laid out for me by mr gryce and that i was obeying anything but the call of duty in following it but this is not explicit one night mr gryce came to my house looking older and more feeble than usual he was engaged in a perplexing case he said and missed his early vigour and persistency would i like to hear about it it was not in the line of his usual work yet it had points and well it would do him good to talk about it to a non-professional who was capable of sympathising with its baffling and worrisome features and yet would never have to be told to hold her peace. I ought to have been on my guard. I ought to have known the old fox well enough to feel certain that when he went so manifestly out of his way to take me into his confidence, he did it for a purpose. But Jove nods now and then, or so I have been assured on unimpeachable authority, and if Jove has ever been caught napping, Surely Amelia Butterworth may be pardoned a like inconsistency. It is not a city crime, Mr. Grice went on to explain, and here he was base enough to sigh. At my time of life, this is an important consideration. It is no longer a simple matter for me to pack up a valise and go off to some distant village, way up in the mountains perhaps, where comforts are few and secrecy an impossibility. Comforts have become indispensable to my threescore years and ten, and secrecy, well, if ever there was an affair where one needs to go softly, it is this one, as you will see if you allow me to give you the facts of the case, as known at headquarters today. I bowed, trying not to show my surprise, or my extreme satisfaction. Mr. Grice assumed his most benignant aspect, always a dangerous one with him, and began his story. End of chapter 1 Recording by Mary Bard, Derby, England